Welcome to the podcast, John. Thank you very much. Thanks, Ash. No, great to be with you. Uh, no, mate. So I really want to have you on. Um, we've been connected on LinkedIn for a while, and I just saw this guy, John, and it just come come to me that I think you started a school just through the <laughs> posts that you're posting and um, through the the um, the yeah the content that you're producing, and it just come across that you work you did um, create this school, and it's in Mexico. And I reached out to you to see if you'd be on the podcast because I want to hear more about it for a start, how you came to start a school for a start, some of those challenges. And um, it's probably a slightly different curriculum than maybe a mainstream school. So I'm really interested to dive into that as well. But um, also, I'm, it's, it's, um, it was a bit of a, I had a thought about where we'd start and really interested to find out what you did last week. Now, I know that you're at a big international conference uh, and you're one of the guest speakers there. Can you tell us a bit about that, where you were last week? Yeah, absolutely. Actually, yeah. So yeah, last week I, I took a, a hundred-hour round trip from Mexico City to a place called uh, Kazakhstan. It wasn't the capital; it was a, a place called Almaty. I learned some interesting facts about Kazakhstan. It was there. It's the ninth, ninth largest country in the world. Right. It's got the fifteenth largest uh, radio telegraph pole in the world. So it was, it was an interesting place to go. It's in East Eurasia, and I was talking at a, a conference there called EdCrunch X which is the largest conference in Eurasia. There was 10,000 people online, 3,000 people at the conference. Well, and the reason that they invited me was, was not so much to talk about Kalikiwiki Guy, but I have just started a school in Mexico. It's my second year. Um, and it was more to talk about one of the programs that we put into the school, which was uh, the Metaverse program. So that's like really gained a lot of attention in LinkedIn and gained a lot of attention, you know, in, in sort of some international circles. It's because we started working with a company from Australia called Edu Metaverse. And I met this great guy called Andrew Wright a couple of years ago, uh, who started that company in Australia. At the same time, I was thinking about starting a school and, and putting some kind of program together. Uh, we really like the Metaverse. And it's part of like this innovation drive that I'm on at Klekio Ikigai. We have uh, an AI program with phenomenon-based learning. We put all of emphasis on, on projects. So it was like a lot of, a lot of elements together, entrepreneurialism. But it was a great experience. I got to go over and I talked and I talked specifically about the evolution of our Metaverse program. Mm. Uh, and lots of people were interested to, to learn more. Yeah, absolutely. That sounds like a great experience. And um, I hope you, it sounds like you've got a few frequent flyers where the 100-hour round trip, that's, uh, that's a long time. Yeah, I mean, with, 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 layovers, with layovers and stopovers, yeah, it was, it was a long trip, but really worth it. Yeah. Great two days over in uh, Kazakhstan. And, uh, you know, I'd love to go back sometime if I was ever invited. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, sounds like a great experience. And we're going to circle back to the metaverse a little bit later and how that could possibly be used in in schools and in the education systems. But I'm really interested to find out actually how you actually came to start a school. Now, judging by the accent, um, I don't think you're Mexican. So (laughs) no, no. (laughs) How did it come about? So I originally qualified as a, a history teacher from the UK when I was 22 years old. Um, and I took the chance and I went straight into the international market. I lived and worked in China for a couple of years. Yep. Uh, and then from China, I moved over to Mexico. I really enjoyed the 25 I arrived in Mexico. I met my future wife. Uh, I settled down here in, uh, in, in, in the city. And just really loved the experience of being here in Mexico. You know, Mexico is one of my passions, another one of my passions that I've been very close to all throughout my life. And then I just started working in international schools. You know, I started worked as a teacher, worked my way up to head of, head of the English department. And then I worked a lot in IB schools, an IB coordinator. 
then I became a sort of deputy head. And then eventually, you know, I ended up becoming the head of school in a school in Colombia. And I moved from Mexico to Colombia. And I spent two years in Cartagena, in Cartagena Britannico. And then in, just before the pandemic, 2018, I moved back to Mexico uh, to take control of a really big international school. Really tricky during the pandemic. And then coming out of the pandemic after all of that sort of, you know, periods of reflection and thinking about the world, et cetera, et cetera. Me and my wife decided that we would start school. We got a chance, you know, like one of the one of the lucky things is we did find some capital, some partners who, who backed us. Um, but we started, you know, Colegio Ikigai was started for 125,000 uh, US dollars. It wasn't a huge amount, um, but, you know, we made the most of our money and we're on a good trajectory now here in the school. Uh, we're into our second year, you know, the school is growing and, you know, it's showing signs of life, to be honest. So that's that's the main thing. We're a kinder and a primary school. Uh, we'd love to be a secondary and a prepper. That's also really on our radar of how we can take this like small idea and keep growing it and keep growing it. Um, and we have a warm family, warm family atmosphere. You know, it's definitely, uh, a, a, you know, a very socially, emotionally aware kind of environment. Um, I'm the only foreigner in the school. All of our teachers and all of our students are Mexicans, including my son, who, you know, obviously is dual nationality, but he's Mexican. We have one grade per class. So we've got four classes in kinder, ten, uh, six in primary. So we have 10 classrooms and just one class. Per grade, you know, we um, we follow uh, some of the ideas from Finland from phenomenon based learning, project based learning. I'm a huge proponent of project based learning. I like to give you that autonomy, mastery, and purpose. I think it's a really important element to education, and also it allows us to do one other thing, which was to you know, in, in Finland, you know, like the idea of putting all the emphasis on on that, on that summative piece of assessment, which is just an exam. We can tone or dial down that, that element in school. So that's where we are at the moment. We're really enjoying it. Uh, it's been a challenge, an uphill struggle. It continues to be a challenge and an uphill struggle. You know, look, you know, looking after things like all of the parent parent body, all of the yeah. teaching body, you know, tax, which is a new thing for me. And you know, so there's, like, there's a lot of like entrepreneurial learning going on as well for me at the same time. But you know, I'm delighted where we come from, and like I'm hoping that we can get the school full and you know just continue the success of Kalikiwiki guys as far as we can possibly go. Yeah, like it's an incredible story. Like opening a school, like I just can't imagine what would what you would have to go gone through to actually do it. I'm sure there's a lot of uh, boxes here would have to tick along the way, creating a curriculum, um, getting I guess government approval. I'm not sure if that's the right terminology for it, yeah. but there would be so many I guess red red tape to get through to actually build it. So from when you actually started to where um, to when it actually opened the doors, how long did that whole process take of start opening the school and, and what were some of those I guess things that you had to go through to actually get approval yeah no it was, it was really tricky right so so when, once we started I started thinking about the school in October 2021 and uh, my wife said okay I'll back you with the idea to start school but what you know what are you going to call it what's his name what's the idea like tell me more and so I just read the book of Ikigai and I, I drew out like this Ikigai Venn diagram and I, I said like that's how I kind of made the the start of the school. Um, and then quite literally the week after I met the investors. So it was kind of really, really quick, really, really fast. Yeah. Um, we had the, we had, we took control of the school site in January, 2022. And obviously we were incorporated into the Mexican system uh, all throughout that month, uh, all throughout that year. And we opened our doors in September on, uh, no, it was October. No, no, it's August, sorry. August, 28th of August, 2022. 
Yep. We did the full year and the full admin, uh, uh, admin cycle, administration cycle, and we're in two th- and we're in our second academic year now. So we've been open eighteen months along those lines. Mm. So that so basically from October twenty twenty one, and then you opened in so it's about ten months. Yeah, no, it was it was really quick, really fast. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we, we found the place. It was kind of low price, lots of good luck, a lot of serendipity along the way. Um, we found once we found the place, the ideal physical place, um, it was like, like an abandoned school. We found an abandoned school in our in our in our neighborhood. Um, we still had some of the permits, like from from this historical wow. tradition, but there was basically no one in the school. It was in quite bad condition. Um, so a lot we came in and then just sort of like relivened it up. And um, you know, we put our publicity out, entered the market. We knew that we were going to get the, the accreditation, although there was a lot of bureaucracy. Obviously, even you know, Mexico is not is not is not known for its easy processes bureaucratically. But yeah. you know, we yeah, we just went through everything we had to do. Every every hoop we had to jump through, we did it. The you know, could. and so we became accredited school for for primary and secondary. And interestingly enough, at that time, so Mexico. Uh, yeah, I'm not. I'm just not. I'm not sure that you're aware, or your your listeners will be aware. But Mexico has gone through one of its biggest educational reforms in the history in the history of Mexico. Hmm. Um, so it's been through uh, 28 uh, 28 really important reforms. But this one is the biggest because it actually changes the pedagogy of the entire country and the school. The, the whole of the Republic of Mexico now uh, says it teaches through projects. So I think when the, the project or the plan dropped onto the table of the, of the local education authority, they looked at it and said, ah, it's a project-based learning school, and we're just going through this reform where we're all going towards projects. And I think that helped yep. That helped my case a lot. That helped the narrative a lot. Yep. Um, and actually, on the day that we were awarded the accreditation, they actually asked me to give, address all of the new schools that were being accredited that in that period, which were 48 of them in the state of Mexico. Mm. I got a chance to stand in front of my peers and talk about the, the importance of project-based learning, in my opinion. Oh, wow. That's, um, yeah, that's incredible. Like, that's how short a time that took to actually start. Us. You, you must have been, I don't know, there must be some long days in that time. But um, ha- actually, just going back a step, when you said investor, how did the investors come about? Like, did you, okay, I want to start a school, I need investors. And you said a week later after the idea, you were in front of investors. How, how did that happen so quickly? <laughs> Yeah, and that was like the, that was like the very that was like the most serendipitous part of the whole process. Well, yeah. it was just a friend of mine. Um, my my brother in law uh, was working in like a local investment firm, um, and yeah. during one of his breaks, he said, "Oh, you know, guess what? Um, my my brother's uh, my brother's uh, looking for a job. He's just quit his job, and he wants to start school." And they say, "Hey, we want to start school. Just uh, let's let's get in touch." So it was it was as easy as that actually. Yeah, right. But I mean, that's that's the biggest hurdle. Like I think to. You know, to start any kind of business or anything, even a small school like this or, or a you know, large ed tech startup, you do need like a slice of luck and you need some capital behind you. But once you've got mm-hmm. those two things and you've got a good idea, you know, it can, you can move that project on quite quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, we've been, we, you know, we both, me and my wife have been doing 100 hour weeks lately. Yeah. Uh, it's been, it's, yeah, it's been, it's been it's like, there's no word of a lie. It's, you know, when you want to build something or create something, mm-hmm. number one, it's, uh, you know, it's risky. You know, you've risked everything. I risked everything on this project. Uh, you know, all my pension, all of my savings, everything was in the middle of the table. Uh, and number two, it's it's hard. It's really it's really difficult mm. to create something new, especially in sort of such a traditional space. But I felt there was like a, a need for it after the pandemic. Uh, we're really part of like a micro schooling. You look at the, this micro schooling sort of 
uh, movement that's growing in the world at the moment. These small schools which have got a, a lot of autonomy, a lot of focus on curriculum, a lot of focus on, on new innovative ideas. I think that's 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 really good. I suppose in the second year, what we've what we've seen though is uh, quite a lot of our, I would say, quite a lot of our families, a lot of our community, a lot of our teachers are really trying to regress to the mean and get back to that traditional form of, of learning and I'm kind of like trying to pull us back to this sort of more innovative style of learning so it's mm. been a, it's been a whirlwind experience I wouldn't change it for the world um but yeah like, like it's an, an extremely difficult complicated experience yeah I can imagine it. and mate well done on that like having a taking that punt obviously you're pa- very passionate about it you stopped um your teaching international systems to take this on I mean I, I guess it was a risk to put everything in and I guess at that same time you if it doesn't work out you can go back and teach and kind of start again so i guess there's that little backup there but taking that part like well done and um getting to where you have in such a short amount of time with the amount of students you have that it's great effort and well done to you and your wife and the investors ah well thanks very much yeah we, we, we do need to continue growing and go and continue this sort of like the narrative of what click that is but we know we've learned it from from where we've been and i think like you know 18 20 20 24 months ago, I really had no social media as well. I had no really, no contact with LinkedIn. Yeah. I wasn't active at all. But once yeah. I became a small business owner, I was like, you know, I really need to like get myself out there and yeah. do these things. And the reaction has been quite interesting from LinkedIn, I think, as well. You know, like a lot of people have like been interested in the story. It's like a, it's, yeah. it's a slightly unusual story. Yeah. And I think what's also really unusual is that now that I'm actually the owner of the school and the academic coordinator, and this is the dream team, right? This is what everybody wants. This is, yeah. you know, I can... Uh, I say, okay, I really want to pursue this. I really want to get this into the school. Let's see if it works. You, you have a lot more flexibility and freedom. And uh, often, you know, when you think about schools, like teachers want to be innovative, they want to be creative, but often, like the, you know, the government doesn't let them. Or, you know, the yeah. private school doesn't let them. You know, like there's a lot of barriers to like, innovation inside like, schools. And then I think it links into you know well-being as well. You know, like I think I think often often teachers in particular. Uh, I just asked to uh, toe the party line, you know, like sing from the same hymn sheet. We don't really care if you believe it or not, you know. But you're you're part of this community, and I yeah. think a lot of a lot of like things that could happen from the bottom up uh, rather than the top down. I think the bottom up innovations in the school are by far the best innovations because they're innovate pe- people and teachers are innovating when they encounter real barriers are real problems with their children mm. and i think that's really that's really an, an interesting element to, to what i've done but the same thing you know like I'm, I'm a small private school in mexico i've got the same pressures as any other small private school yeah. in the world you know fighting for children yeah. uh, you know trying to get my teachers to do the right thing etc so you know i'm still in the thick of it so to speak yeah. i'm not i haven't, I haven't actually made it anyway you know i'm just like in the in the midst of the battle, if you like. Yeah, no, absolutely, mate. So, yeah, just getting that far so far. I know you want to get keep growing and um, turn it into, I guess, something um, much bigger. And do you, do you have block plan? I mean, I want to get to the, the metaverse and, and how that could be used in education and some ideas and where you think um, education is heading uh, very shortly. But are you, is one of your goals to grow the... Now, I spoke to you before, John, off air, and I said my pronunciations, that's one of my weaknesses, and I'm going to have a go at this. So it's um, Kalikigo Ikigaya. That's pretty, yeah, that's pretty good. That's, pretty that's, good. that's the name of the school. Um, are you are you hoping to create uh, more campuses in Mexico or even around the world? Is that a goal at the stage or not Not quite yet? Oh, no, 
nice. Uh, you know, like that would be a dream. I was like a pipe dream, I think, really. Um, we yep. would love to do the secondary and the pre- uh, and the prepper. Yep. I think that's, that would be that makes natural sense. We found a school site that's around the corner, so you know, we've got some dreams to try and like develop the K twelve school, which would be like you know maybe two hundred and fifty children max, and like yep. so technologically project based learning focused school in Mexico. I think that would work really great. I think that would be a, a, a real winner. Yep. Um, of course, it's uh, you know. Every time, you know, I've been, I read a really great book just recently. I've been riffing on these themes on, in LinkedIn by Ray Dalio. And um, Ray Dalio has wrote this book called Principles. He's this sort of, uh, you know, money manager from, from the US. But his, his, his books are really, really interesting. I really like what he's talking about. And he talks about this cycle where, the, you know, you go for a big audacious goal. As you're going for the goal, what tends to happen is you fail to, to, to reach that goal. And because you fail, it forces you into this period to, of reflection and thinking about what did I learn as I failed when I went for that goal. And that learning and reflection delivers you an insight about the world or some kind of ideas that can help propel you to go forward to take on bigger, more audacious goals. Mm. And I, I like that idea a lot because, um, you know, like, you know, Years ago, if you said to me, would you ever have attempted to even open a school in Mexico? I said no, but yeah. now I've done it. Yep. And now I'm bumping my head into these problems like, uh, you know, tax men, like, I, you know, tax is tricky for me. And uh, I've, got, I've got a whole a whole range of you know, normal problems inside the school. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like, now I'm sort of bumping my head into these sort of real world, real issue problems. And, you know, I'm starting to learn more about how I can sort of redevelop my business and redevelop my school and propel us forward again. So the next proportion hopefully will be secondary and prepper. And after that, maybe it would be more campuses or a metaverse campus. I've always had this, I've got this dream about opening a metaverse school. Yeah. I think that would be really, really, really cool. Yeah. And I am sure there's lots of other people out there thinking about it, but I like yeah. the idea of having a school in, in the metaverse somehow. So, so I think that's another, another thing, for, you know, for, well, further down the road. Yeah. But I think, I think that was, that was the big, that was the big, um, the, the big life lesson that I got from the pandemic was, you know, look, you know, you were lucky to survive. You know, I think all of us at some point caught COVID. I think I don't know if you caught it over there in Australia. You know, we all stayed in our homes for two years, and then everybody caught COVID in the end. Yeah. But when you're on the day that you actually caught it, you like you think to yourself, well, you know what? What if this? You know, what if I'm the unlucky one? Right? Mm. Would you, you know, have done things differently? Would you have changed things? And so when I caught COVID, I looked down and I was like, oh my god, you know, like what happens if I'm, you know, I die in two two weeks? You know, would I have done anything different? I said, well, I think I'm definitely in the right area. Love working in education. I really like working with children. I really like families. I really like that kind of like environment, like schools. But I think the thing I would change is that I would probably want to work in my own school. Mm. And so when I came out of COVID, I was like, okay, you know, like, 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 if we can do it, let's, let's do it. Let's give it mm. a shot. But I also, you know, I really like an author called Tommy Robbins and um, yeah, he's a super famous motivational yeah. guy from, from the US. Yeah. But he's got a great phrase and he's like, you, you know, he says, if you, you're never going to take the island if you don't burn the boat. So like, you're never going to do something if you don't just put it all in the middle of the table at one point. Mm. And and I think it, can, it could still go wrong, you know, like still a little bit on a knife edge over here. But at the same time, like, I think that's right. I think if you only half do something mm. uh, that you want to do to work toward your goals and your dream, you're only going to ever half do it. But if you put everything in, then it's you know it's a do or die situation, which has been for a few years. Yeah. Then, you know, the, the, chance, the likelihood of success is, is much higher. 
Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. And so I think from personal experience, I've experienced the same thing. You might have these goals, but you don't put quite anything into it. And it doesn't really go anywhere. But um, I know that personally for me, like we're both teachers and we've gone out and, I mean, you're still, you've created a school and I'm working in schools with my own program after being a um, an IB teacher as well, to a primary, um, an international baccalaureate teacher, which IB stands for, if you're not sure. And um, yeah, then I went out on my own and started my own well-being program and yeah, it had to be sort of all in. Um, otherwise, you just go through the motions a little bit and it could be a bit wishy-washy, but you're right. It has to be sort of all in and um, to to achieve where you want to go. I mean, people can do it, I guess, um, half-hearted, but I think I think you really need to be passionate about it because when those challenges do come up, that's when you can push through because this is what I really want to do. This is my why and it gets you going um, through those challenging times. Um, yeah, I think the massive transformational purpose, I really connected with a purpose, uh, which was, you know, I really want, I want to transform education. Yeah. I want to see some. I want to see us do different things in education. I'm really tired of the pre-pandemic formula of content exam, content exam, content exam. Mm. Here's your, here's, here's the end of year report out. Well done, excellent. See you, see you next year. Yeah? yeah. It doesn't seem to me that you know there's much things changing in the world. I mean, I think yeah. we're positive about the future. We're optimistic about the future. I don't see that profile of student that's, you know, just sort of playing that game, going all the way through this filtration system and getting to university. Mm. I don't see that type of person helping us out, solve problems with the the environment, helping solve problems with conflict, et cetera, et cetera. And I think environment for me is, is another thing that just like, I would say the last 10 years has gone from, oh, I think hopefully somebody will save the planet to, oh my God, like we've all got to save the planet right now, yeah. you know, and that's kind of like gone way up in my thinking and priorities you know so that was another thing it's like it's urgent you know it's urgent that we try and get children to think in different ways and solve real real world problems and move away from this very formulate rote learning exam test aren't we very clever we get to university we go and work in corporations and we repeat the cycle and we ruin the we ruin the the environment more it's like like this got to stop and I don't know if it will stop. I don't know if because John Kelly started a school in Mexico, it's going to stop. But what it, what it does mean for me is that, you know, when I'm on my deathbed and I'm looking backwards, I say, like, you know, I gave it a shot. You know, I, I, I yep. wanted to do something that could change the world. Yep. And whether or not I did or I didn't, you know, I'll still be proud of the fact that I want children to think differently about their future. Yeah. And I think it's that, I can't remember exactly how the quote goes, but something like, um, be the change that you want to see in the world or something like that. And that's something that you've yeah, definitely done. I think, I think Gandhi, right? Like, yeah, that's it. Gandhi. Gandhi, that's it. Yep. Um, yeah. It is. So, John, it's actually a good segue into actually the what you actually do at the school now. And I'm really interested to know about how, I guess, you incorporate the metaverse and, I guess, educational innovation um, in your schools at the moment and maybe – how because this is i mean one of the things that i'm really passionate about and i know you are too is, is the well-being sort of thing so how does the metaverse and maybe well-being and education or innovation all come together if it if it does yeah well i'm i'm, I'm, I'm pretty convinced it does do actually yeah uh, so i would say fin- finland is known for phenomenon-based learning which is this project-based learning based around natural social phenomena however also the big part of phenomenon-based learning is they put well-being because there's the number one priority well, the social emotional well-being of children is more important than their academic form. That's it. You know? And I think that's really uh, an interesting way to design a system. Mm. But what I saw firsthand during the during the pandemic, you know, I was I was sat I was sat in my front room 
uh, you know, trying to run a school, a huge, massive school. And next to me was my son who was in the school trying to learn online. And, you know, it didn't really work out for him too well. Uh, I must admit, it was a challenging situation for all parents around the world. But what I did notice is that, you know, his levels of motivation and engagement never seemed to go down when he was playing Minecraft or Fortnite or video games or was immersed in that world. And then all of his friends joined, and particularly they started playing a game called Fortnite. And, uh, you know, a big discussion in my house with my wife, should, should we let him do it? Should we not? It's Fortnite's quite violent. It's about killing people. You run around in teams, like, try and shoot at each other. But at the same time, you know, like, it was the pandemic, hey, you know, there's nothing else to do. And, you know, all of his friends were doing it. So I said, look, I'll play with him and, you know, I'll make sure it's okay. It's going to be in the front room. Anyway, it wasn't that bad, to be honest. But at the same time, what we saw in Fortnite is we saw that there was a, a sequence of concerts in Fortnite, Travis Scott and a few other um, people did concerts in Fortnite. And then I was reading the newspaper, like 8 million users joined the Travis Scott Fortnite concert. Mm-hmm. Now, just recently reading, you know, like Roblox is also part of that movement. And Roblox now has 100 million, 100 million live users on a daily basis, 100 million live users. Oh, mm-hmm. And then you, then you think about, you know, like, what is that industry worth? And you know, uh, I read a report that it's worth it's worth the music it's worth the music industry and the film film industry combined and doubled is the whole entire net worth of the video game industry. Mm. And you know, all of I see all young people really, really uh, very, very engaged when they when they're in sort of gamified uh, experiences. Yep. So that's where it came from. And and so I was looking for a way in which you know maybe teachers could fight back and find you know some way we could sort of like compete with that because if it's only just a sequence of it's just a it's just a game right the content was something else it was educational content like still all those hallmarks of the game and you could then scale that across the world uh, you know like and you could get eight million children engaged in a chemistry class or a french class or an english mm. class then you're starting to sort of move into territory that could like it could change the world right and you're into kind of big big idea thinking territory but then i was like well how do you land it how do you really start a metaverse program in school and at that point i was really lucky i met a guy called andrew wright who just had the same idea as me we met in a we met in a metaverse space and he showed me his world and i was like that's really really interesting and we started talking about like what is the pedagogy behind it it's, it's really it's hybrid methodology um, it's another tool that we use in the classroom, but the starter activity inside the inside the classroom is the same. We talk about the objectives, what we're going to learn today, but then they go into their metaverse worlds either on tablets or on PCs. And inside that world, the world is usually designed or, relate, or, or has a relationship to the uh, to the to the key concept, you know. So let's mm-hmm. say, for example, they're studying Romans. They're in ancient Rome, you know. This this kind of connection. But inside those metaverse worlds, what you've got is you've got the scheme of work, you've got the learning activities, you've got links to different areas, et cetera, et cetera. And that's how we started the program. They do the learning activity inside the metaverse world, come back to the real world. We'd, uh, you know, debrief, find out what they'd learned. And, you know, you're, you're jumping between these these two worlds, right? Mm-hmm. And, oh, yeah. and so we start, we start, so we started, we tried it all out. And the first project we did was called the International Butterfly Sanctuary. And this was really cool. We had children design butterflies in Canva in Australia and Mexico, hosting them or sort of putting them up inside the metaverse world. And children were making comments on it. Like, like a, it was like a sort of very sophisticated pen pal system. And I really yeah. liked it. And the kids really liked it as well. Like the kids just were going crazy for it. You know, it wasn't that they liked it. It was that they liked it by a factor of a 100 over a traditional class, yeah. they love it. 
And they still do. You know, they, there's, there's no doubt about it. It's incredibly engaging for them. And then, so we developed that idea into a, a into a into a treehouse and developed this treehouse concept where readers would swap recommendations for books, and we posted videos of their, of creative writing, and that really worked really well. Then we introduced these narratives, and you know, it's it's, it's become more and more sophisticated as as we've gone along. We only use it a couple of periods a week, uh, still in the school, but oddly enough, for some reason, it's sort of like you know, left the school. And the local press and the national press came, and then eventually a TV crew came to my school, and we got named as the, the first school in Mexico in the Metalist, which of course was like really useful for us, and we played the system, etc. Yeah. And that's why I was in just recently in Kazakhstan. But the, all of that educational 3.0 that we've been talking about is is really where I see education going. It's you know the ability to learn what you want, when you want where you want, with who you want, be safe while you're doing it, learn at your own pace, be engaged, you know, like, you know, instead of, you know, instead of children putting 12 hours a day into Minecraft, they're putting 12 hours a day into these types of ideas. That was the synergy that we were trying to create. Mm. Um, and it's been, it's been, it's been a really successful program, but it's not the only program, you know, I really love VR programs, virtual reality and yep. um, augmented reality as well. I know I've followed that world really, really carefully and closely. I look like what's happening with uh, special computing that's coming out with, with the Apple headsets and Meta with their new Quest 3. Um, I can see all of the idea about sort of the blend of how we blend our digital world and our real world together mm. as being just like a massive in- area of interest and opportunity for education. Mm. Especially now that we can actually control that content. Yeah. And so many questions come to mind, John. Like it's so just. I mean, I've seen the like the VR headsets and things like that. Um, I used them once at a um, myself, and it's unbelievable. Like what you see coming out of these virtual reality goggle things that you you put on. So when I'm just trying to picture in the classroom, so can you just paint a picture how it might look? So the students are in like, say, let's take year four for example, grade four. They're in the classroom. They've got their laptops or their iPads. That you use a program that gets them to the metaverse. Is that right? That's right. So when so when we're talking about metaverse, what I'm what I'm what I think the final conception of the metaverse is going to be something that's about three D spatial environments, artificial intelligence, and blockchain technology. Hmm. Things like that kind of like that's where we're kind of heading. Before we got there, we what we've got now is these three D worlds that you can create. You go into a program. There are various applications out there, and you create a three D world. And you get an avatar. You go into the avatar, and you move around that world. As you please, like a video. Minecraft? Exactly. Like Minecraft? I could be like Minecraft, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, like yeah. Minecraft would definitely be, be up there, yeah? Of course, the teachers control the environment of what they're in. Mm. And you can upload all of your educational content into that environment or oh, yeah. for that class. Yeah. Right, yeah. So let me give you a, a really good example of... Uh, uh, I'll give you a good example and then really where it sort of fits into pedagogy in, inside Finland. Um, uh, no, Andrew, what he did, he, he designed an Everest base camp. And so he's got the learning activities inside the tents at Everest base camp. So you go into this space, yep. you're on your tablet. It also works in VR, but I don't, I'm not, I'm not a huge proponent of VR for primary and kinder children. I think it's better for secondary and prepper. Yep. But you go into your tablet, you, you do the work, et cetera, et cetera. And what he did is he got a Sherpa to come in from Nepal who actually climbed Mount Everest. I think he's climbed it seven times. 
And so the, those guys are in there, and then they get a talk from a Sherpa who actually climb Mount Everest in the base camp. Oh. And you have this, like, these layers of sort of enrichment and understanding and sort of, you know, you know, like sort of curiosity. Mm. I just augmented in a way that really talks to our our um, mm. generation. I think they're called um, it's the Zeta generation. Right? Anyway, it really talked to that generation of children. Yeah. Okay. They, they want the freedom, they want the mastery, they want the autonomy, the purpose of being in there. But at the same time, like they're learning as well as they go through these these mm. of the programs. I think it's like the more you see children engaged and excited and want to be in there and want to come to school, et cetera, et cetera like you know that school is doing lots of the right things. Yeah. Yeah. No? Absolutely. And I think, you no, know, as we opened Kaleki Oikigai, I think the other thing that just sort of has blown me away was when we opened Kaleki Oikigai in September and December, I'm playing with something called Open AI. And I'm like, oh my God, well, what is this? You know, this is something completely unexpected out of nowhere. You know, a, machine, uh, yeah, a computer, a large language model computer program that you do, you know, it's basically like a computer for words and, you know, any kind of homework you give children can now be done. And of course, that has, you know, progressed into generative AI and all of those things throughout this year. But all of this is like, for me, it's feeding into, into this narrative that we now have at disposal governments, organizations. We've got some of the most powerful tools of all time. You know, we know what the problems I think are in education. And if we just put these two together and configure it the, the right way, you know, we'll have a scalable solution that can, you can tackle those, that, you know, the 200, uh, I said 235 million children have no access to education. We can target, you know, the teacher shortages that are, that are coming quite, quite soon. You know, mm. I've read 60 million shortfall by 2030 from UNESCO and you know, we're not going to have enough university places by 2030 for all of the new people that are coming along in the, in the, in the world. You know, we've gone from 8 billion and you know, pretty soon we'll be at 10 billion. Artificial intelligence is going to start chewing up jobs. It's already started, right? You know, the Hollywood strike of the script writers. You know, I was listening to a, a call the other day, and it was, a, it was from Tesla Motors, and it was an AI program completely selling a guy, cold calling a guy and selling him on how to buy a new Tesla car. Like the AI knows everything about that guy, you know, where yeah. he lives, he knows and, it, and, and I heard it, and it was there, you know, it's, it's right there. So it's that kind of, like, transformative change in the labor market is knocking on the door. And then when you really look at it, and, and I think, you know, you're starting to look now generationally, like 10, 20, 30 years in the future, where our children are going to be coming out of the world in that end. Honestly, I see more value in distinct areas of talent, in abilities and competencies. And we've got them well-defined in Collective guys as well, like what we're really looking for. Um, rather than in this idea that you go to university, you, you know, get a degree and then you get a master's degree, you mm. get a PhD and you go deeper and deeper and deeper into that knowledge. But it, it, it surely can't have that much value if the, the power of a computer by 2040, $1,000 computer by 2040 has more computation and power than the whole of mankind put together. Mm. And that's going to have a effect on mm. the professional world. So I'm always thinking about, like, you know, how, what will our children do in the future? How are they going to make money? Um, how are they going to find their interests? How are they going to find their hobbies, their professions? That intersection of ikigai, you know, like, like what it is you're going to find and do for the rest of your life and turn it into your, into your thing. That, for me, now becomes more important. It more becomes like the human element and focus on your ability to, to, to manage emotions, interpersonal skills and self-leadership and digital skills. 
for me that's more important now than than you knowing you know like the the, the syllabus or the curriculum for any kind of one single subject of course, you know, like that, like I don't want to paint an extreme case because I understand that we still live in the real world and there are exams to get into universities and things like that. But I think um, you'll see over the next 10 years, like a real swing in this direction where all of a sudden, all of a sudden, the people who've got the richest TVs and the curriculums are the one who can present 25 different projects that all had an impact in the real world. They're all related to the UN Sustainable Development Goals. They can stand in front of them and make pictures and projects. You know, they can think laterally around subjects, they're critical thinkers, they've traveled the world, they speak three or four languages. That's the profile that I see of being like the people who are going to be in hot demand when AI, perhaps, you know, takes all the way these kind of, you know, jobs that can be taken away. And there's a lot of jobs in the world, I think, that can that will disappear. There's a lot of jobs in the world that people don't like to do. Yeah. You know, if you, if, you, if you realistically went around the world Ask people and said, "Hey, do you really like your job?" And the vast majority of people say, "No, I hate my job." You know, mm. I go and I take a piece of paper and I file it and I talk to this customer. And you know, all of that's—that's that's not going to be there anymore. Like, what do children do? So, I think all of that platform, the Colicchio geeky guy was standing on, and all of these ideas that were just bubbling around in my head, came out as an expression of, of what I want to see in the college, what I want to publish on LinkedIn, where I want to go with with my own career, and try and find some solutions to these bigger problems that exist in the world. Mm, absolutely. And, and it just I'm just picturing like having how much fun students would be having like on their laptops and or on their devices and having that actual real life experience, having a Sherpa talk to them inside a, a tent, um, like climbing Mount Everest. And, and I guess that's how it is. Like they, that's a real person that they actually see who's talking to them, isn't it? Yeah, well, I think, I think, you know, if you're looking at like the, I think the metaverse has got like, I had a little bit of a bad rap because just, uh, you know, uh, Mark Zuckerberg uh, rebranded Facebook into meta and then its price went down and it's going back up again. So I think the metaverse is like some, somewhat of a misnomer, like virtual 3D learning environments. I would say, right? Like probably the best version for it. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, like when you, when you're in that environment, it's got several types of the several characteristics that make it extremely attractive for a learner. Number one, it's collaborative. And number two, that collaboration can take place across huge geographical boundaries. You know, you can have uh, students in Australia, Mexico, mm. India, China. They can all go into that same space, uh, interact and learn together and really have those experiences. But yeah, they're all in various different parts of the world. Mm. So I think that's like a huge, that's a, that's a huge learning, uh, like a, a learning characteristic that I think brings a lot to the table in, in the metaverse environment. Yep. And then, of course, the third thing about that is you can design any kind of any sort of surreal or fantastical or any kind of like imaginative place that you would want. Any kind of scenarios that you want can be demonstrated in those environments. So, mm. for example, you want to do your class in a laboratory under the sea. You want to do it on the moon. You want to shrink down and go into an apple. You want to go into the heart. You want to go into the brain. You know, like there's like so many multiple ways that you can now sort of interact with the, the the you know the learning objective that you wanted to get to and of course the last one for me is if you're going to do anything dangerous you know um you know especially if you're thinking about i don't science for example science experiments that can be run over and over and over again inside those environments mm. but, you know like perform exactly the same as in the real world but at the same time you've got like you, you, your children are not in any type of danger whatsoever yeah, I think there's like various like amazing elements to that style of learning that 
you know, super attractive to schools and are attractive to schools. It's a new area. It's not, hasn't really taken off yet. But I mean, all you need is, all you really need to get started is just like a little bit of innovation, a little bit of courage, some children, uh, you know, some some parents who are willing to let you like do this for a little bit. Yep. And that's what we've had at like the Oiki guys. So that's been a real, you know, positive thing. Yeah, absolutely. I think oh, this has been a brilliant conversation. I'm taking away so much myself and learning a lot about what you're doing at the school, but also like your passion for, I guess, moving education forward and getting up with today's world. And what, one thing that um, just came to mind then, if, if teachers or schools want to get started in this, I guess, metaverse, you mentioned about um, do, do you, the program you use. Do you actually use a program? And if so, is that available to yeah. schools or how does it work? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so um, that you know, to get in touch with Andrew Wright, who's uh, uh, actually an Australian, yeah, uh, a British guy living in Australia. His company is called Edu Metaverse. Edu Metaverse, um, and he he is a special advisor in some parts of Australia and works as a teacher. And he's divided his seventy five classes, and he works with uh, quite a lot of schools now around the world. Like mm-hmm. guy was the was the first. Oh, he cool. showed me about it, and he sort of given me the book. And so ClickyWiki guy is sort of like, you know, progressed in certain areas there. But, um, you know, if also he uses a, um, a platform called Frame, um, Frame VR, which is a free, and in its basic format, it's a freemium platform. So you can go and create a metaverse and bring 10 people into that metaverse and have a cluster. You can do that in five seconds. You know, it's not even, it's not, it's not even that hard. But so I, those are the places that I started. And, and I think it's really important to remember with teachers and schools and everyone is that, you know, a lot of these technologies, uh, for example, the MetaQuest, you know, Meta is only two years old as a company and the headset three has come now. And Frame is about, you know, 18 months old. Like nobody really is an expert in this area. But if you just play around, if you've got a teacher that's got really passionate about their subject and they've got good pedagogical knowledge, you start to play around with those elements you'll quickly see, you know, like how you can bring that into the classroom. And I would also just quickly add on top of that, the reasons why you should bring it into the classroom is that engagement, that passion, that, you know, the desire to be in that space mm. is high, is extremely high amongst, uh, amongst young students. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, this has been, a, as I said, a fantastic conversation and so much to take away. I just wanted to ask you one more question before um, we wrap our, up our conversation. So have you got... Um, well, at, at your school at the moment, what wellbeing initiatives do you have that you you could share with um share with us? Uh, that's a very that's a very good question actually. Well, today let's say let's do for example today we have lots and lots of events in school. Um, so today was Thanksgiving Day, mm. and what students did today is they came in in the morning and they in their groups they prepared uh, a, a special favorite dish with our ten groups. We brought them out onto the patio. Then we had the, you know, like a full day talking about, um, you know, uh, thanks. What are the, what's the meaning of Thanksgiving? And we talked about why it's important to, you know, uh, to to be grateful for things in the world. Uh, we all shared of our food, and then we each brought a toy in, and we created like a line of toys. Yeah. And those schools are going to go to uh, an orphanage. Uh, we're going to take some students with us to go and meet the orphans. Okay. You know, I think I think I think the the the, the key to well being for me actually in a school was taking away the stress of exams once once we once we managed to take away this exam stress we saw like a very like a high swing towards creativity in students 
you know mm. and so how we evaluate our students is through learning walks and exhibitions and presentations and plays and all of these kind of like child friendly ways of evaluation you know and what we say is like we, we don't do exams in school and, and and that reduction in exam stress has been huge you know one of the yeah i saw a piece of research just recently and it uh, looked like a perfectly good piece of research it said like you know the number of suicides, child children's suicides in the world is linked directly to academic talents. Mm, you know? When yeah. periods of stress come in in schools, that's what's when that's when suicides happen in all and from all ages, all the way up. All of them linked to academic calendars. So there's definitely something in there. How we've designed our system has not been a very you know, it's not been focused on the end user, you know, like we haven't thought about the child and how we're going to evaluate the learning. And so I think like just eradicating that one thing was a, was a huge thing. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, like we have student council, parent teacher council, parent council, you know, like everybody has a voice and a choice inside the school. And more, you know, more children can, can express their feelings about what they want to see in the school, et cetera. And the more the school can respond to that, that's a good, a good starting place for well-being. Mm, no, that's actually brilliant. I haven't really heard people talk about that actually component of it, but that totally makes sense. What you just what you said, and um, those uh, I could be wrong, but I think when you mentioned about um, the suicide rates in uh, with the pressures of um, of schooling and exams, I think is is it fair to say that is a lot across Asia or across the world in generally? Adrenaline? I think I, I think it was across the world in general. I'm yeah, okay. sure the research there. I, I, I saw it just just recently, like I yeah. guess like about a month ago, I came yep. across that, that research, and it looked really solid. Yeah, um, but. But definitely, you like, you like. I think anyone who actually went through that system themselves, like anyone of our age and anyone who had had that kind of very traditional hardcore schooling, which I certainly, yeah, it was stressful. It was stressful and, and pressurized, and and not everybody could succeed in that environment. Yeah. And that's why that's why we're going wrong. You know, we need a system where everyone can succeed. There's no pressurized that turns learning into a fun creative pastime that's going to propel you forward based on your curiosity that we don't have these high pressured exam moments inside there because i just don't see that as being very useful to the future success of our children or the future success of our planet mm. you know if if it was being successful and you know we were counteracting all of the problems in the world and our educational system was was flying high and everybody had a chance to succeed, then, you know, I would be saying something different. But, mm. like, it's, it's quite notable that if we want to make, like, an impact in our world, we need to change our educational system. And I think that's the, actually the first place we, we should start. You know, we, I think across the world, we've got rates of, like, I think it's something like only, I think it's something like 7% of the world's population is a post-secondary qualification. You know, if you're in a developing country and you want your country to develop quicker, invest more money in your education because that's what's going to, like, really propel you forward. So I think I personally see education as the absolute key to unlocking all of the, uh, you know, all of the potential in the world and solving all of these problems. Mm. Um, but, of course, you know, my, my, my voice sometimes is in a minority. Yeah, no, I really, yeah, really agree with what you're saying. I think you mentioned about like when students are having fun, like they're, they're learning, they're going to probably learn more anyway, but also they're going to, their mental well being is going to be like, I guess, at a, a better level because they are having fun, they're in a good mood, and they it just makes them, I guess, their lives better. And it's going to be great for their families, 
uh, other students at the school as well. And there's a lot of upside to what you're saying. Um, John, really enjoyed this conversation, mate. And um, where can people find out a little bit more about you, maybe follow you, um, reach out if they've got any um, questions about um, what you're doing um, at your... I'm going to have one more go at this, at uh, Kaliko... Ikigai? Ikigai. That's right. Yeah. Well, that's really for the that's, that, that's really for the school. I mean, the best place to get me is, is LinkedIn. Yep. Um, I am I am active on LinkedIn. I have my notes yes. and downs, you know, because like my account, like like my account's gone to like third, I don't know, like there's a lot of people in my account. Yes. It's actually become like a full time job managing yes. LinkedIn. So like I, I can't spend all my time on that. But I like posting out my ideas. Yeah. I, I always I always interact with people for good or for bad. I like it. I really I, I like going out there and I find out what the world's about and who people and you know what other ideas are up. So probably LinkedIn is definitely the best way yeah, to do it. Yeah, brilliant mate. Well I'll um in the show notes put the um your LinkedIn uh link and also the school link so people can is it on the is it a website? Is your school yeah, www.kolekioikigai.edu.mx, which is kind of like a, just a general overview yep. of the school. That's actually going to be changing this Christmas. We're going to be updating our website. You know, I made that website, and I've got to make another one because it's like it needs to be updated. Yeah, but that is the that's the that's the nature of a one man band. Yeah, uh, <laughs> entrepreneurial system, right? You've got to like you've got to like roll your sleeves up and get things done. Yeah, absolutely. But that's actually better to uh, catch me on LinkedIn. Yeah, no, nah, sounds great, mate. And um, yeah, we'll put those in the show notes and really enjoy our conversation today, John, and really admire what you and your team have created and starting something from scratch is never easy. And like, not only starting something from scratch, but school, like, <laughs> it's amazing. So, and something that you're so passionate about, you just haven't started a school, but you've actually started a school that you've wanted to see. So it's amazing, mate. And um, thank you for uh, joining us today. No, thanks very much. It's a pleasure to be on the show.